Now, pencil cases, uniforms, lunchboxes, face masks and hand sanitizers at the ready. It's a very different back to school this year. We've been asking you for your questions since the end of last week in relation to the return to school after six months of them being closed. They've been coming thick and fast. So thank you very much indeed, anybody who sent in a, in a question, because we've got a panel in place this morning. We will attempt to answer them all. And just to give you a heads up, although it's a quarter to nine, we will be continuing our discussion with our panel after nine o'clock, we'll be online on our social media platforms and also on RTE News Now. So you can stay tuned until about 9.30. But joining us on our panel um, on the line is uh, Marie-Therese Kilmartin, Secondary School Principal of Clóis de Breed in Clondalkin. Good morning to you, Marie-Therese. Um, Professor Noreen Hayes of the Trinity College Dublin uh, School of Education. She's in the studio with us. Noreen, hello to you. And Pora Clerken, CEO of the Irish Primary Principals Network, all also in studio. So the three of you are very welcome. We'll get straight into it and we'll try and get through some of these questions. Um, one of the ones which I suppose covers, uh, because some, some of the questions are specific to primary or secondary, but one I suppose that, that does cover um, every school building. Uh, several parents and teachers have asked us this one. Porik, I'll, I'll look to you first. This is about classrooms being ventilated um, because there there is this idea that, you know, fresh air should be getting into the classroom because there'll be a group of people uh, in situ for a number of hours. But it does mean exposing pupils and staff to damp and cold as we get into the winter. We all know what it's like when there's a draft coming in behind us. We don't like it. Uh, so, So what are schools being told and what are they going to be doing? Well, it's it's a very important issue for schools to consider, and it's it's something that schools on an ongoing basis would be aware of. You know, to keep a, keeping a good airflow is very important for children, and to ensure that you know that the learning happens in a positive way. So, um, what I, what I expect, and there has been guidance sent out from the department in relation to this very very recently, uh, but that schools will keep the room ventilated. They will they will open the the, the classroom windows, and they will keep the classroom door open to ensure that there is a good. Air airflow actually getting through and um, you know it's very important that children are are comfortable um, and we'll have to ensure I'm sure the heating costs will go up um, and and probably the windows over those those um, those radiators will be the ones that will be the opened will be opened but it's also I think very important uh, you know we're, we're getting children settled back into school I think they'll be brought out of the classroom for for breaks and for a little bit of exercise and that time will be used also to ensure that there's good clear ventilation of the classroom. And Mary Therese is it the same now in your school in in Kaloshta Breeding Clondalkin. Will the windows be opened? Are they cracked open for a bit of air? <laughs> yeah, it absolutely will. It's it's so important, and we would have window vents, so it's so important that they're left open all of the time, as well as the windows themselves, the other ventilation. And again, we're an active school, so we'll be encouraging even take even during class as part of teaching methodologies, maybe for teachers, just to take the students on an activity walk and to engage in activities too that are outside in all subjects. And again, this is something we've been doing and advocating for the last number of years. So it's even becoming more important and to do a walk at the school it only takes about two or three minutes to actually circumnavigate the entire building and it's really good for students also on break times and lunch times we'll be really encouraging that students go outside we have ample space and that they'll be able maybe even to take mask breaks once they're over that two meter distance just go off find a little area on their own we've our organic garden lots of different areas and we've put out um, increased outdoor seating for our students as well. But that's the sort of thing I suppose Noreen that wouldn't be able to be done on the hop as such because that'll have to be organised I mean everything now is now about planning isn't it? And that's it really. I mean even Marjorie's they're saying you know take the kids out for a walk but it'll have to be diarised and planned because if the teacher next door wants to take her group out, they can't do it at the same time. It will be. And, and also it'll be important to keep communication with parents so that they know that this sort of thing is happening as well. But it's good to hear because I think in Ireland we haven't a history of using the outdoor space as well as we might for educational purposes as well as for just outside kind of sauce, you know. So it's 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 good to hear these, these uh, moves in that direction and good for children. And comfort is very important, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah. Because here, here are kids going back to school when you know it's been a long time now. But I do remember going back to school, and you know, there's you know a little bit of trepidation, I suppose, involved in that. But interesting that Marjorie is saying their mask breaks yes. uh, would be something that that they'd be looking at. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you think should 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 schools be thinking about that as well? Oh, I think that's a really really good idea. I mean, masks are are. Um, critical I think and 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 will be worn in secondary schools 
the question, there's still a question, as you know, around children in primary schools. The World Health Organization advice and our own advice is still under 13s, probably best not. Um, but where they are needed uh, for parents or for teachers, rather, as well as for children, a mask break is essential. In classrooms, if there's the distancing uh, possible, the children won't, the students won't have to wear the masks, but they will have to wear them. But in is corridors. that in secondary schools? As well, because, well, I understand that last night from prime time when the Minister for Education spoke, she said, you know, it's it's masks for all secondary school married trays uh, from from Colosh to Breed. Mm. What's your understanding of mask wearing? Is it is it essential at all times? Okay, again, I think the the regulation is that where the two metre distance cannot be maintained, that masks are then to be worn. But again, if the student can, if there maybe is an area or again, if you were working in a classroom with maybe two or three students and everybody was well separated, that may be possible. But again, I suppose as we go along, we're going Mm. to get more and more clarity on this. But for us in our school, um, that two metre distance in classrooms is not viable. So again, all of our students and our teachers will be required to wear to wear masks, except if they meet the published criteria. OK, let's get on to another question here now. Porik, I'll go to you first yeah. on this one. Several questions relating to items that pupils will be bringing in with them each day. One parent asked, what's the policy on school books? Will they continue to be carried to and from school every day? Well, Again, um, the advice on this uh, has been updated and the HSE has given out recent advice, um, which is very important for schools and for parents. But um, we must remember that schools um, were were handed the guidelines very, very late and they had to draw up plans based on the the evidence and the information that they had at that time. So, But the important advice now from the HSE is that there's no issue with bringing any items to school, lunch uh, boxes, uh, school bags, uh, school books, the important issue is in relation to the sharing. Nothing can be shared within the school. So it's important that children, whatever they bring in, they'll be able to keep in their own place, use it themselves and that they won't be sharing it. And so that they'll take it home again then. Absolutely. Presumably with primary school, they'll be mostly taking it home, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Mary Therese, what about the lockers then in secondary school? Is it a case of they're, they're leaving their books because obviously the books in secondary school are a lot heavier, a lot more of them? Yeah, again, I know different schools are are making different arrangements. So for a school like ours, with huge huge volume, nearly a thousand students, so lockers become a huge touch point and it it all goes down around those height touch surfaces and that students would generally be in and out and mixing at their lockers and we wouldn't be able to keep the spacing at the lockers. So I know that's been a major issue of concern. Um, Certainly it was the one that um, probably when we did parent consultation, even student consultation, of everything that we actually put out and pages of information, it has been the one that actually has been the hardest probably for people to get their heads around. But again, what will happen is if we move to base classes, students will be able to, again, have their school bag, bring a number of books. Also, for those of us who have moved to the one hour timetables or people have been adjusting their timetables, reducing the amount of books that's required. So for us, for every two classes, you need two sets of books at a time. And over different days, we've different amounts of classes um, on while we're doing our 28 hours. So therefore, again, it'll just take people a little bit of time and adjustment into new routines. So, and so again, we will monitor and we will look at this as it progresses. And I suppose that's what we're going to be doing with, with all of our initial pieces. You know, we will take a look, we will view, we will listen and watch as people adjust. But we're also saying to parents um, there that, again, many of our books are downloadable. So again, that students will be able maybe to bring a device into school, be able to have everything downloaded, and that reduces significantly the need for books. Also, just using your mobile phones correctly under the direction of of, a, of um, maybe the teacher for teaching and learning purposes, because our school, for example, we don't have a one-to-one device policy. Some schools do. So different schools will have different operating systems. And I suppose that's where we're all coming from. OK, Noreen, uh, no harm, I suppose, in bringing fewer books into school Indeed. on a daily basis. But what about the use of devices then instead? I mean, some, like Marjorie was saying there, some schools have different policies, I suppose, don't well, I think that'll be the issue. Different mm. schools will have different policies and different uh, families will have different accesses and so forth. I mean, I think the idea of, of, of kind of 
creating a balance between what's downloadable, what's usable on an, on a device as against the, the, the school books is, is, is important. But if I could come back just to the school books um, and I'm thinking of primary here with, and lunch boxes and, and, and what have you uh, to the point of, of school bags. I mean, one of the one of the key messages I think that's coming from from health is is that the school is a controlled environment and that the issue is not about the um, kind of spread of of the virus within schools so much as working hard to keep it outside of schools. And so school bags need to be kept clean. Um, so I, I know from my own experience that, you know, school bags often came home and just got dumped in under the stairs mm. or, or whatever. It's, so there will need to be a little bit more care taken in the home by the children themselves. When so would you advise for, well. for parents and for children, I suppose, that those those that are a bit older and yeah. can take the responsibility themselves, a, a, a kind of a wipe down with an antibacterial or something like that when think, they get in? I think an emptying of <laughs> and a wipe down. And also, you know, it may be used as a source of notes, <laughs> although I know I know there's WhatsApp and texts and so forth but it's often a space where there are notes um, stuck in as well um, but yeah I think that's, that is a, a site that, that could be considered yeah Okay um, let's talk about I suppose if there is a if, if there is an issue when and if um, there is an outbreak of, of COVID-19 in a school or with teachers or if there is a partial cl- uh, closure or a full closure of any school um, we've had a lot of questions relating to remote learning. Um, if a school must close in the event of an outbreak, will each school have its own plan B? Will there be a provision for remote learning by all pupils? Porrick, if you take that one first. Well, you know, we've learned so much since schools closed down in March. And uh, I suppose the change that, is, that has happened within the schools has been revolutionary. Um, I think the day is gone when schools won't have a plan B for any unexpected or unplanned for closure. So um, I would say absolutely. Absolutely, yes, that schools will have a plan B. They will. They now have their, their learning platforms and uh, they will be ready for any any situation that might arise in, in relation to, uh, you know, a partial closure or a full closure of a school. Um, and they will they will have a plan ready to go in that case. And, and Mary Therese, are you the same? What are you putting in, in place in case that you have to have a teacher that goes off or a classroom or indeed yeah. the school has to be closed down? Correct. So I suppose for us, we're going to be following the NEPS advice that's there in the beginning, which is slow down to move forward. And we've already identified that in the first two weeks, that with all of our students in the school, we will be focusing one of the areas that we'll focus on will actually be that of building digital skills so that we're going to check that all of our students are able to be set up remotely, that they are able to access and that we'll be building that into our planning right from the beginning. So Porik is correct in saying, yes, schools will have to have a plan B that's clearly identified in the roadmap. And again, so as well as teaching our students the expected behaviours to do with COVID and a lot of wellbeing and connection activities, we'll be building in our digital skills right from the beginning and we're suspending our timetable for the first two weeks to allow the other teaching to take place and for all teachers to be involved in that and to check that all of our systems are working if that makes sense. Noreen. And I, I, I'd like to endorse that idea. Mm. I think it, this is going to be a very different, difficult experience and different experience for children across all age ranges. And I expect teachers will be balancing the kind of um, ambition to get back on top of where they want to be with the reality of settling children into this new environment. I think the idea of, of focusing in on, on doing something that's different and new is, is, is really interesting as well because it gives children a focus because that's what they want when they go back to school. But at the same time, it's not, as it were, more of the same in a different environment. So I think that settling in period is really important. Because it would be terrible, wouldn't it, for a kind of a backwards feeling of, you know, kids go back to school now and then in a couple of weeks time or a month's time or whatever it might be, they're back to to full kind of home learning. That's it, I think, Mm. to try and, and, and stage it, but also prepare for the event that a classroom may well have to close. And I just want to go to this other question. One parent asked if they could hold their children back for a few weeks to continue remote learning, to see how the first weeks go and then decide if they will send them back to school. Noreen, would that be a good idea? My understanding is that the guidance is to try and get all children to return to school at the same time to to some semblance of, of kind of normality and that's kind of what children are expecting as well. And to some extent, holding a child back because of an anxiety may actually fuel an anxiety within the child, you know. So I think where possible, children should be encouraged to go back. Um, It's a safe environment, it's a controlled environment and 
there shouldn't be any anxieties. I know there are certain circumstances, children who might be at risk and so forth. We can talk about that again. Mm. But in a general sense, I would say that the guidance is to to go back to school. Pork, would you agree with that? That's uh, abs- better ab- to send them back. Uh, absolutely. The objective here is that for all children to return to school. Um, however, the 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 children, the very high risk children will be will stay at home and they will be facilitated with remote learning and there will be resources uh, put aside to support those children and the education centres will actually be helping us with that. And, and then actually following on, I suppose, from that question, another one from a parent. Will there be any catch up help for children who were already struggling before the pandemic, say a child going now from third into fourth class? Or fourth into fifth, where I suppose the workload is getting a little bit heavier. Yeah, well, absolutely. Again, I, I'm just going to go back to the initial, uh, you know, the, the, the priority initially will be to get children back to ensure that they're comfortable, to build up their confidence, to get them to re-engage with the school environment. And like our, our teaching at primary level, it's all differentiated and we look after the individual child. It's geared towards the individual child. So programmes will be developed that will help children. And of course, we have our support teachers who will also give extra support to children if that's appropriate. Um, Mary Therese, uh, I suppose even when you get to secondary school, that idea of a catch up is is even more important, especially maybe for those students who might be going now into an exam year. Um, So is there a sense that there'll be there'll be a little bit of time to catch up for any students who might have been having difficulties before the pandemic and before the school closures? Again, I would agree with Park there around differentiation and it's very important that we do encourage all students and parents. We recognise that there is anxiety there. In fact, God, all of us, even as principals, we're all going, how is this going to work out? So anxiety in general sense is normal. And again, many of our schools are putting on so many extra things that in fact, having this, not returning your student is actually a disadvantage to them because in the beginning, we're slowing down to catch up and that slowdown in order to move forward and again for us a focus on key skills and literacy and numeracy in fact our third years who would have done their junior start last year the majority of those would actually be encouraged to take the transition year option and again all of the documentation around transition year is again recommending that whole focus on key literacy key numeracy building the students and getting them ready and prepared for a senior cycle because the jump between junior to senior cycle is huge. And again, many of our curriculum, different expectations have been um, developed. So for our junior cycle students, there would be less CBAs to do in the classrooms. So again, um, we've been already starting to make adjustments. We expect maybe that there'll be greater clarity or more coming around this. But again, um, we will hopefully get there. And that's what it's all about. And okay. again, our six years in particular are quite, um, they're quite worried about their mm. their level of expectation. And now that we've got the guidance around assessment, um, that will help. So our teachers will be working on that. So again, it's very important that our staff have meetings in this time so that our teachers too come to come to grips with all of the changes that are being expected so that they can deliver that in the classrooms effectively. Is your just, I'll ask you there about just about the, the needs of students. I'll ask you yeah. about the meetings there because I just wonder is your staff room still a staff room or has it been hijacked and is it being used as a different as another space? Okay, so our staff room um, has not been hijacked per se, but again, we will have different requirements for our staff. So all of our staff will no longer be able to be there. And we've introduced the staggered breaks, staggered lunch, um, and again, increased the number of areas. Maybe we've looked at our parents' room where we're putting in a dishwasher. Again, trying to accommodate people as gently as we can, but things are changing for the teachers too. And again, they have a two metre distance to keep. So for everybody, this is a huge amount of change involved so good question Mm -hmm. around staff rooms so it will be different and things like staff meetings too will all take different formats or maybe smaller groups or using our remote um, systems whatever we will do okay so we'll be trying to keep school going as best as possible I want to move on now to a question about clothing very very important because um, there's been a lot of talk about uniform and all the rest of it so a couple of different ones here Porik I'll start with you will children coming to school on PE days have to use the school changing room or will they simply be allowed to wear their PE gear into school? I do know anecdotally of one school who's saying, look, you know, if you want to put the kid into PE gear on one day a week, it's absolutely fine, even if it's not a PE day. But yet some other schools are kind of being a bit strict about the the, the, the use of, of the full uniform instead. 
Yeah, again, it's about doing what's right for children and ensuring that they're comfortable. And I think that it wouldn't be the normal practice like for, for primary schools, you know, for there to be changing into PE gear. Normally what happens is that children would wear the the, the tracksuit or the school tracksuit uh, into school that day and indeed on days where they might be involved in uh, school activities. So it, that wouldn't really be an issue in a primary school setting in most cases. OK, but and also just then about that 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 issue about if, if parents are wanting to wash the school uniforms and they they then you know have a drying day whatever it might be that they if they want to put the child when it's not a PE day into the PE uniform some schools aren't allowing that but should they do you think? Well again I think that schools are flexible in relation to this and they try you know we know we're there to to support parents and we know how difficult it is with young children and young children do dirty clothes and and often you find yourselves having to to put on uh, several washes a day in many households I know so again many schools would have a system in place where often there's you know there's the the uniform one day the tracksuit the next and there would be a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, you know what children can wear on a specific day. Uh, Mary Therese, um, if children are being encouraged to cycle to school, I suppose, to to get away from public transport or um, school buses, can they be allowed to wear appropriate clothing then for the whole day instead of the school uniform? Again, for for us, generally, what we would always have done if a student was cycling to school, they would have been able to to adapt and to wear their PE uniform. Um, again, maybe when they came in, they changed. So we'll have to look at that if there is a student that, again, who is taking that option. We will just chat with them, put systems in place. That's what we do. As Porik just said, schools have systems in place because, again, accidents happen on uniform all of the time. So we would have a system where parents communicate with us through the school journal, put the note into the journal. That then is given to maybe a year head or to a deputy principal. And then the student is excluded for the day. But we shall be changing our systems, in fact, to allow students now to wear their PE uniform for the entire day that they have PE. So for us at post-primary in our school, that's a significant change and we will be closing our changing rooms. Oh, all right. OK. Now, Noreen, I suppose it's very important, is it, for schools to be flexible in, in terms of this particular issue? Because, you know, uh, uh, s- schools are uniformed uh, mostly across the country. So if parents can be a little bit more relaxed, yeah. wouldn't it help the system? In, in full? And I do know anecdotally that there are primary yeah. schools that have said, no, you can't wear the PE gear. It has to be the school uniform, the crested uniform as yeah, well at that. Yeah. I think the flexibility around that particular issue is probably important because also there'll be anxiety at home about the transmission of 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 of, of clothes if they're dirty and you know parents will be concerned so it's good to hear that there is uh, is, a, is a move towards flexibility the other thing I think that came up uh, in, the, in, in um, uh, the answer there was about communication across all these questions that have come through there was a sort of a palpable sense of I just want to know and I think if, if the system of communication between the schools and the, um, the home can be maintained uh, or ramped up uh, really it, that's that's going to be terribly important because that's going to people are going to be more on the same page um, and, and that leads things across every sort of situation as it arises because you're both absolutely correct. We don't know what's going to happen next week, next mm-hmm. month, you know, and we'll have to be responsive. Mm-hmm. Um what we mentioned there about cycling to school, so I'll go back to school transport then for a moment. One parent said her children's school transport is a minibus and with distancing requirements, this bus would only be able to carry a few children. Is there a provi- any provision to replace minibuses with larger buses to allow the same number of children to be brought to and from school? Porik, do you have any, any well, anything on that? Again, at the moment, this is more of an issue of second level because mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the, 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 the procedures and the protocols have changed in relation to transport at second level. A primary school setting, it would go on as, as planned, children will be asked to sit with uh, family members or within their class bubble, you know, to sit on the same seat every day, again, to facilitate, uh, to minimise uh, risk and to facilitate contact and, and uh, you know, the tracing. That's going to be very important in the future in, in terms of ensuring that it, the virus doesn't get into the schools. So I, I think in that case, it will be important for the parents to discuss that, you know, with the, with the operator of the service and to ensure that they feel comfortable. And with, with the, the kids procedures. as well, presumably, because it might be difficult to manage you know you're sitting with that person now for the rest of the year and that's it on the bus when uh, when maybe the school bus is the place where it, 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 it you know it'd be a bit giddy and 
Yeah, and, know, and and again, you know, we we'll all have to support, uh, <laughs> you know, these the bus drivers and the people who are bringing mm-hmm. the children out to the school. But I think it's important, as you say, the communication around it is very important. It's important that children understand. I I think that children are, you know, they understand the reasons behind why we're doing what we're doing, and I think they understand, uh, you know, that uh, it is going to be safest to sit with their brother or sister or sit with a classmate in this situation going forward. Um, Mary Therese, I suppose it's it is one for you more so, and especially as you're in a Dublin school, several parents asked what precautions will there be for children using public transport to and from school do you have any update on that um, in fact, no, I would be saying I would be asking parents or re- advising them to contact um, Dublin Bus on that or the other providers that would be on, on the routes. Again, that they will have to follow all of the HSE and the advice that, that is there in coming to school. And again, we would probably be advising students to be up early in the morning and again, maybe looking because again, as the buses are, are distant, that students and parents may have to look at their timetable for buses and plan plan their route to school and maybe actually for some it could be actually that they may have to now plan maybe walking to school and looking at other ways or go back to your cycling that that students are being encouraged to look at other alternatives and not to leave everything to the last minute. Okay Noreen um, one special needs assistant asked for guidance because they see no chance of social distancing with 33 children in the Mm -hmm. classroom Mm -hmm. and trying to communicate through visors and masks um, the, the the special needs teaching, I suppose, is is potentially going to be a real issue, isn't it? Well, the close contact mm. is inevitable mm. in a in a situation when you're when a special needs assistant. Um, and I think the the advice again, I think the the important point to make is that the school is a controlled environment, um, and that the the main kind of protection happens outside of the school by people being careful and doing all of the sort of guidance rules that we've been given, and. If, if that is the case, then a special needs assistant is coming from a safe environment into a safe environment and the child is also coming. But that's what we're hoping is going to happen. And in such a situation, wearing a face mask is obviously going to be important. Or a visor. The face mask seems to be more more protective than the visor. But for some children, they are going to need to see the face and therefore a visor is going to have to be uh, have to be used in cases where there is more intimate contact. um, I think schools are equipped to some extent with um, PPE, with protective uh, equipment, and that may have to be used again. Most special needs assistants will know their children and they will know how to approach this new kind of environment. But there will be a need for very careful attention to to their protection. They And they probably of all of the adults in the school situation will have the closest contact mm. with a, a, a particular population of children. Yes. Um, uh, Porik, is that something that has that has come up among your members and that you've been talking about? Yeah, from day one when we were looking at uh, the reopening of the schools, the situation in relation to our special needs assistants, uh, you know, was 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 raised and it was a priority, and it was realised that our special needs assistant would need PPE gear, and that they would need to wear a, a face covering, a face mask in school, even at the time when we we're talking about teachers not wearing them. Obviously, that advice has has changed changed since um, so it's important that you know that, uh, and the provision has been made through the procurement framework uh, you know for, for the purchase of appropriate PPE gear for our special needs assistants and um, they will sit in the, in the classroom pod again so they will be sitting with, with, with the small group of children or with the child to again to minimise the risk and it's all about looking at what processes what procedures we can, can put in place to minimise the risk at all times um, Here's an interesting one Mary Therese I'll ask you this one first what provision has been made for music classes in schools where it is a subject not an activity okay so what what we know at the moment is that there seems to be um certainly a difficulty or maybe an issue around the woodwind woodwind instruments again so in terms of we're waiting further clarity for many of our practical subjects again you're being encouraged to use wide ventilated space in fact I know one of my colleagues who's a music teacher and she was saying that she you know may take her classes outside as much as possible weather dependent so again looking at well look what have we got around us again as everybody's saying minimize risk um, follow all of the procedures and become be, be very fl- practical and flexible so again it is that 
we will get there. So we may, mightn't know on day one. And again, bit by bit that we will get there. And again, true music, there's a huge amount of music that's actually involved in the subject online as well. And in terms of composing the other aspects of the course. So I think there's only particular issues around maybe certain instruments and all of our other instruments would have to be following the cleaning and hygiene and wipe down procedures that will be there for all equipment um, as we as we um, move forward. And again, many of our students um, would take classes outside of school. And again, as they start back, people will become a little bit hopefully more relaxed and become more familiar with the procedures and then less anxious and that we'll have lovely environments because certainly music adds to the environment mm -hmm. here in a school when there's a concert or there's students sharing their talents and that's what we're all hoping to do that as much as possible we will be able to come back into that space and um, move forward and celebrate as a community. Now, one question from a teacher related to hand washing in particular, because I, I know and I've, I've looked at the videos um, from the department uh, about, uh, you know, targeted at the various different uh, ages of children. And it is about the hand washing and the sanitising and all that. But one teacher wanted to know that uh, will cold water be as effective in cleaning children's hands because there's no hot or warm water in the sink in the classroom? It's quite practical. I, I was really interested in that yeah. in that question and I went and looked it up um, to see what exactly the story is. So apparently, I mean, I was kind of surprised in a way that there were classrooms that only had cold water, you know, but that I suppose I can understand it. Um, so first of all, the thing is warm water rather than hot water mm. is, is important. With cold water, there is soap apparently which emulsifies in cold water and it's the emulsification that's important. Um, and it is important to have that soap because children do need to wash their hands. Um, dirty Not hands, just sanitise. They don't get mm. clean by sanitising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do need to have the water. So there is soap that you can use with cold water and the washing of hands should continue, yeah. OK, special soap, pork. Are, are they all sorted with the special soap in well, the primary schools? I, I know that uh, it's interesting any of our contact with schools and any of our meetings that we've been having online, a lot of the principals have to get up to take in the deliveries because the deliveries are arriving, uh, you know, constantly into the schools. But again, you know, just going back to this issue and, and you said warm water, and that's the issue in a lot of schools. It's controlling and it's ensuring that the water isn't too hot. And of course, there are situations, you know, with, with older schools where perhaps there isn't that the, 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 the hot water in every single classroom. But um, it has been pointed that, yes, washing in the cold water with the appropriate soap is actually is appropriate in this case. And of course, backed up that there is sanitizer in every classroom. Um, I want to go through some scenarios now, I suppose, that have been put to us by parents and teachers, uh, teachers about developing symptoms and what happens if and when uh, symptoms are developed of the COVID-19 coronavirus. So if a child is suspected of having COVID-19 who's in the classroom um, and is deemed to be a close contact, who is deemed to be a close contact, I suppose? Is it everyone in the room or is it just the, the people in the bubble? Pork, I'll ask you that first because the bubble is maybe in the primary school. Route yeah, again, the, the HSC have sent out very clear guidance just uh, to parents and to all of us in relation to how to manage this very recently. And they've, they've, they've very clearly indicated, you know, issues such as when to keep your child at home, when it's OK to send your child to school. So in relation to a situation in a school where a child, you know, it appears that there are symptoms and the child would be taken down to the isolation area, parents will be contacted. They'll bring the child home. They will contact their, their GP and the GP will advise them in relation to whether the child needs to be tested. Once that actually happens, the public, you know, the HSE, uh, you know, the, the, the public health doctors take over and they advise the school. They will contact the school and they will ensure that if they, they deem there to be any risk, they will take over at that stage and they will contact uh, the individuals concerned and advise us in relation to what should happen. I suppose that I know that that, that, that <coughs> is the advice that it's to the public health doctors. But Noreen, it would appear that if, if a child child has been in a bubble with however many other children and if there is a positive COVID-19 test that surely then the other children in the bubble would would have to what go into quarantine or at least be tested immediately yeah, this is a case now where I think um, and I would agree with Porik that, that parents can only think about this so far mm. really mm. in relation to their own child you know um, but a close contact means um, if you're spending more than 15 minutes face to face contact within two metres of, of a person if you're living in the same household or shared accommodation or if you're sitting within two seats of an infected person on a seat or a bus or an aeroplane or whatever. So there's a def definition of a close contact. And for parents, there is, of course, a worry if a child goes home. But the, but the message really is that the health system will kick in and you don't have to 
make the decision as to whether your child is the child in close contact or, or what you need to do. The health system will, will come to you and will will explain to you. And I but suppose yes, that's I mean, key. Pod, yeah, it is key to bear that in mind, yeah. I think, from the from the point of view of, of, of feeling comfortable about mm-hmm. where you are with mm-hmm. your child. Um, in relation to the pod and the bubble, if there is a child who has symptoms within a pod, it is likely that there will be contact tracing there then. So, uh, you know, uh, the advice will come from the health system then. And Mary Therese, when it comes to secondary school then and, and, a, and a, uh, one of your um, pupils being tested positive, I suppose, for COVID-19. What do you understand to be the rules and regulations about that? Well, in fact, um, we're still due to get the further details around that at the moment and further guidelines. But again, I think that schools, many of us already are putting in place systems where maybe that students might be in seating plans. So the teachers will be able to have their seating plans that will be able to help with that. So identify where students were seating in classes. Again, the importance of having our attendance tracking, our roll calls up to date so that um, we are, will be able then to click in and be able to support the HSE with their contact tracing because again they'll be coming back to schools um, and we will have to have that level of information. So for us at the moment even putting those systems in place will be will be key because for us probably that pods or bubbles isn't as applicable because um, often our students are moving to different um, maybe practical subjects for example but again that um, that piece of keeping our students within seating plans so that different classes, if they are mixing, are seated together and again, watching all of that. So we'll have to be ready for that. And again, further guidelines where we expect to to emerge yet. Okay. now this is an interesting one because it must be very common in households across the country. If there are four or let's say even two or three siblings going to school, um, Uh, they might be going to the same school. And if one of those siblings shows symptoms, do all the children then in that family have to be kept home? Porik? Well, again, the the advice, the recent advice that came out from the HSE is that if you've been living with someone who is unwell and may have coronavirus, you remain at home until, until you get the advice from your GP. And it's important, again, that that message goes out, that the phone call to the GP does not cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yes. really, really important. Uh, and that, that parents will contact the GP and seek advice in relation to that. But again, we want to minimise the risk. So it's really important that we all follow that. If you're living with someone who is at home, who is unwell and who may have the virus, you do not go to school. OK, that's very clear, Noreen, isn't it? It is just, clear. Just don't go. Yeah, just don't, just don't go. And, and, but, but we shouldn't underestimate... Um, the challenge that there will be for some parents, because you, you know, there is the runny noses, particularly with the younger children and the sniffles. And we're coming into the autumn, into winter when we get those sort of niggly bits mm. of a cough and so forth. And so I think there, there's, there is clear advice uh, on the HSE website. Um, and if you have if, if the symptoms persist, if you have a temperature, if you have um, a persistent cough, if a child loses the sense of smell or taste, those are key things and call you know, call the the GP and it is free to call the GP. But don't over respond either. There's a balance to be struck. Mm. And there's also just one piece of advice that if a child has a runny nose and no fever, but is taking paracetamol, um, they should stay at home for 48 hours. And if the systems persist, then you might need to call the GP. Mm. So there's a sort of a slightly ramping up um, Uh, uh, management of this. And and look, this year, I suppose, is going to be different. You know, we're I think everyone is probably aware of that. Um, And um, I suppose interesting then to look at the maximum amount of days in a school year that children are allowed to miss. Mary Therese, I'll go to you with this one. Children currently allowed to miss a maximum of 20 days of school a year. If parents react to any minor symptoms by keeping children at home and cumulatively those missed days uh, for individual children add up to more than 20, will there be leeway allowed? Okay, so I think, again, this is probably where we would be familiar with TUSLA, who would, again, be involved in the monitoring of student attendance. So I believe that we're to get further guidance around this, because, again, if we look at staff leave um, in terms of if a staff member is out for a number of days, COVID related, that is going into a different category. So, again, it's the importance of communication between, again, home to school to let us know so that then we'll be able to communicate that information forward. I think communication is going to be so important between school 
and between home at all times. We await further um, guidelines um, on this. And again, we would just be encouraging students and parents to please follow all of the protocols because it is about minimising risk and not bringing COVID into our schools. And that's what a controlled environment is. That again, within schools, we have measures in place and not to, tr to try and ensure that COVID doesn't come into our school. And that's what we're all trying our best to do. OK, and then staying, I suppose, on that kind of absence uh, line of questioning, another one here. If a teacher falls ill for whatever reason and a substitute teacher cannot be found, Porrick, will the class be told to stay at home? Yeah, um, just before I come to that, if I can just, just say mm. in relation to the 20 days, it's oh, yeah. really important the message goes out that, you know, it's not that we're allowed 20 days absence. We're, no. we're encouraging children to attend every mm. day that they mm. can attend school. And that's the whole objective behind the TUSLA and uh, to to encourage attendance in school. And just to say that it's it's not about catching anyone out and it's, it's just about putting the supports in place that might be required to help a child to re-engage with the school mm. system. And it's really important. But there will be flexibility you know, we know that there's going to be increased absence and there's never an issue with TUSLA when th there is a valid absence, you know, and, and, and schools get the feedback on that. So I wouldn't, uh, parents shouldn't worry about that. What's really important is if your child isn't well that they don't attend school. Okay. In and relation the, to substitutes, yeah, substitute. this is, you know, that, that's, that's a real challenge and that has been a real challenge for schools over the last number of years. There's been a, a, a shortage of substitute cover. Obviously, that's critical in this situation because we're not able to do what we would have done in the past where we would have split up classes and teachers around the school would have would have helped us to supervise children if we were not in a position to um, source a substitute. Um, there has been a significant investment by the Department of Education in putting a national panel in place, um, which is something that we have been calling for with our, with our colleagues in the INTO and the union to put a national panel in place to ensure that there's substitute cover. That's how we hold on to our teachers or younger teachers who cannot uh, source a, a, a year's temporary work. That's how we keep them in the country. And also they've extended that to put cover in place for our teaching principals who will all be uh, you know, be supported with one day a week, another issue which has been very important and we've been calling for. So there are other measures in place such as job sharing. How is that panel looking at the moment? Well, the panel's actually very successful okay. and we really do want to thank all yeah. of our colleagues who have, have stepped up to the mark and taken on the employment because at very short notice they've had to go and to employ up to th between three and five teachers you know to facilitate the panel and one school will be the host school and will manage that panel because you can't have the substitute around. teachers moving around different schools well well what happens is that the host teacher is on the panel that they're employed by one of the schools but they're shared amongst the schools where there's absence but it means that the teacher who's on the panel actually has em fixed employment for the year and that's what's crucial that's what will keep them we can't our teachers just can't afford to be renting accommodation mm. in Dublin without this this security. But, 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 in relation but the just, question yeah, then, no, in relation will the class to that, be empty? Or that's the, the last thing that we want to see yeah. happen. That is the very, as, as a school principal, the last thing I ever want to do is contact my parents to say, unfortunately, I'm not in a position to keep the, the class in school today. I can't turn around and say to you that there's absolutely no chance of that happening. But what I can tell you is that it's the very last thing that we want to see happening. And we do have extra support. So our postgraduate student teachers will be allowed to, to provide cover. And there's also flexibility for our support teachers, uh, you know, to provide some cover in, in emergency situations. And a good thing, and I want to commend the department for putting in place that where time is lost, it's been given back to the school. And that's crucial because we do not want any of our special education needs children mm. losing out in any way. And that's actually a, that's a priority for all of us. Mary Therese, uh, what about you now and, and, and a panel and substitute teachers? Are you um, happy, I suppose, that you've got enough cover in case uh, a teacher or teachers have to go home for two weeks? OK, so for, for us at post-primary, actually, we don't have that level of substitute panel. So, again, each school is looking for substitutes themselves. So I'll just put a cry out. So for, for anybody who's in the category, maybe job sharers who want extra work, for any qualified teacher who doesn't have a job, please contact your local schools. Please reach out because our schools at post-primary are crying out. So we're, we tend to be subject-based. So again, we know that there's shortages in particular areas and um, that's going to be a challenge for, for all of us. But again, it's, it's crucial that anybody who is without work, please contact schools. Let us know because we're all looking. The, the amount of advertisements that are up seeking substitutes at the moment is absolutely huge. So we'll be, like Porrick, 
trying to work with all of the different categories and our student teachers are such an asset to our school and again we'll be doing our very best to ensure the continuity of teaching and learning at all times. Noreen. I, I don't know if I could ask a question. Yes please um, do yes absolutely. <laughs> because there, there was one question about um, uh, from a school bus operator mm. this is not specific to that issue but um, and about having do the, does, he, does he keep or she keep children on board the bus until class time mm. where he has a group of children with and when I was looking around to try and, and I was thinking so also this is sorry this is a bus driver arrives with um, his bus full a half bus full of children yes. or the pods or whatever it might be he arrives early at the school gate so are what there, does he do are with there the children? are some children from junior infants and mm-hmm. there are some children from second class and then there are some children from sixth class mm-hmm. and there is staggered entry into the school uh, and I was thinking also of parents who might arrive with children in such a situation and I was wondering what's the advice and I'm really mm-hmm. seeking from both mm-hmm. both the principals here um, because in the in the documents there is a little piece which says that there is a situation where children of different ages arriving um, would would go straight to, into the school and to their assigned class. Now, I'm wondering, is that a possible option for a, a, a bus that brings children, but also for a family for that brings children? For a family with, children? who brings because two or I, three children. I'm certain mm. that would be a very stressful situation for families, particularly if they're trying to get back into their kind of routine. Mm. Well, Porik, let's, let's give you a concrete example that let's say there's a junior infant, there's a first class and there's a fifth class in the same family who arrive either by bus or with parent. What happens? Well, in, in a, first of all, the drop off and the collection procedures are going to be different in schools. And again, it's really important that all of us work together as a school community uh, to ensure that, that we can make this, that we can, we can achieve the second objective. The first objective was to get the schools open. We're, we're on our way. Many schools opened yesterday and over the next couple of days, hopefully all of our schools will get to reopen. The second objective is to keep them open and to sure, ensure that we keep the virus out. To do that, we must all work together. And this is a really stressful time and every, every principal in the country is facing a different challenge and several challenges every day. And I want to take the opportunity to thank them all for their dedication over the summer and for making this actually work. They really should be commended for the dedication they've given to this. And what I want to plead is that everyone in the school community will give their full support to the school principal who will continue to be under considerable pressure and dealing with different challenges, several challenges on a daily basis. In relation to drop off and and a bus arriving, the important and critical point is the safety of the children. Mm. We must ensure that children are supervised adequately. You know, the the bus driving that situation and and my own, I go back and it 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 was a lady bus driver and we had an arrangement in place and it comes down to planning and communication between the school and the bus driver to ensure that there's a plan in place and that the children are handed over at an appropriate time whenever that supervision starts in the school and every school it will be different they have different arrangements it's really important for that conversation to take place between the individual and between the school to ensure that a plan can be put in place to ensure the safety of the children but also to ensure that we can achieve that second objective keep the schools open, keep the virus out and ensure whatever procedures we have in place that that is the critical point that we're, mm. that we're managing. And I suppose it's a bit, the, the example I gave you, it's a bit age dependent isn't it because the junior infant little baba is will need a lot more supervision and help I suppose than, than the fifth class. Married Therese, uh, for you, uh, secondary school and children arriving and leaving uh, what, what's the story, what's the plan are, are you staggering the times for um, drop off and collection? Okay, so for a drop-off and collection, um, no, because generally in the mornings for us, the students would all arrive at different times. And we often also have a breakfast club and we would be um, encouraging our students as part of our funding to still come into school and avail of our breakfast club, seated again at distance and maybe that type of grab and go and be able to access our breakfast clubs. For us, that's actually quite important. And we would be encouraging students that if they're coming in early, that they will go to the canteen and again, remain distant at all of the tables that are totally separated or go get something and then they could go sit outside weather weather dependent. We have lots of space. Um, But again, our break times are and in the evening, we're saying to students that all of our doors please exit by your nearest exit. So again, we would have systems in place for all of our fire drills, so all of our different doors. So we have a number of different entrance and exit points. And again, we'll be putting hand sanitisation stations at all of those that on entry that students, again, will be doing. Hand sanitise and putting procedures in place to manage that. So the, mm-hmm. the, 
start stagger time is a little bit more complicated for timetabling at post primary whereas we've been able to get our breaks and our lunches done okay um we'll 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 wrap it up now i think because we we did get through quite a bit there but before we go i just want to i suppose say um that we've heard a lot about a lot of the word flexibility uh we've heard challenges but i suppose noreen it's very important as well isn't it that children of all ages um are still excited about going back to school because yeah. six months is a long time, isn't it? For it is. any age from it four is. to 18. Yeah, yeah. So there should be an element of... It should be something to look forward, forward to. to it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think I think uh, certainly children who are familiar with school are certainly looking forward to going back. For the very younger children transition, I think for the two groups perhaps that that we have to make the excitement and talk to them about it, um, it are the transitioning from a preschool, say, environment into a primary school and from primary school into secondary. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's something to be celebrated. It, it really is. And I think, as you say, the, the and hearing the two principals here, today. I mean, there's a willingness around flexibility. There's a there's a, the whole issue of communication. It's it's actually this could be a really interesting change, you know, change um, the extent to which there will be homeschool kind of um, communication across the board. It's always been there in certain cases, but right across the board. Um, and that should give succor to parents who are concerned. And then at the back of all of that, both schools and families have, you know, a, a health service that has had six or eight months now to get itself mm. sort of into into frame and there are very good guidelines on on that so we should be confident. Mm. Porik you mentioned it it has been a stressful time and um, there's people up and down the country working really hard for the last few weeks we've been following it here um, through RT News you know that the preparation that's been put in place Um, I hope as well that maybe the principals and the teachers in primary schools can can look forward. I I think that our, our, our principals and our teachers are all really enthusiastic about getting schools back reopened I think it's everybody realises it's so important number one it's so important for children and you're absolutely right uh, you know the children uh, you know they will be excited going back to school and it needs to be celebrated and we need to focus on the enjoyment and the fun part of it mm-hmm. and to help them to settle in but for all of the adults as well um, it, it's, 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 it's crucial and it's a sign that you know that there's some form of normality coming back, you know, within our society and within local communities. And um, what we need to do is all work together. Uh, again, I want to thank everybody who has made it happen. And there's been a lot of hard work that has gone into it. It's going to continue to be a challenge and we will all continue to to ensure that we face <laughs> up to those challenges. But I think the, the crucial thing is that we all work together as communities. And that's really what's key. Um, we can only make this work if we all work together and all support each other. And that's the message that I'd like to send out to everyone is let's all support each other. Let's face the challenges and come up with the solutions and we can move on. Mary Therese, I think we heard your, your school intercom going off there in the background, which provided a lovely little you bit. You did, of you heard the bell there a minute ago. <laughs> and that, that's the bell that tells us it's all over. Well, we've, got, we've got our welcome back posters up and, and I was smiling there when the others were speaking about that excitement. Our teachers, are many of them are returning today and already out Outside my window earlier, I could hear staff saying welcome back, too. So back. there's many people that are starting in Eunice. We're celebrating. We are ready to go. And for our students that have been in and out in the last while, making videos and creating things, they're really excited about coming back. So again, to thank all of our aides and the, the aides that we got to help. Mary Theresa, I think we will have to let you go, but we we get the we get the idea. Balloons and uh, happiness is is at the Colosh de Breed in Clondalkin. Mary Theresa Kilmartin, secondary school principal there, uh, and Professor Maureen Hayes from the Trinity College School of Education, and Pori Clark and the CEO of the Irish Primary Principals Network. Thank you all for coming in and answering all those questions, and we wish you all the best of luck. But for now, from Morning Ireland, that's it.